A really warm welcome to episode 51 of Purposely Podcasts with philanthropy advisor Emma Beeston. What this woman does not know about philanthropy is not worth knowing. It's a really good episode if you are a person interested in giving, a person who's a fundraiser and would like to switch your careers. Enjoy the episode and don't forget to leave a review, share with a friend. Enjoy. It's about seeing them uh, switch on about their philanthropy, seeing them, you know, make a donation and learn from it and engage and just take great um, satisfaction in what that group's able to achieve and build a relationship with them and go on to kind of keep supporting them. So it's actually um, what I love seeing is actually the cl- my clients kind of falling in love with philanthropy if you like it and seeing how they grow in confidence and grow in expertise purposely podcast speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders people who are making the world a better place here's your host mark longbottom Emma, a really warm welcome. Thank you, Mark. How did you end up getting your job? I worked for different um, large foundations. So initially giving um, grants to individuals, which was things like, you know, paying for cookers and writing off debts and things like that. And then I ended up working at um, BBC Children in Need and then Lloyd's Bank Foundation managing grant programmes. And I really enjoy um, that side of things I enjoy grant making it's kind of you you get to visit different charities it's really interesting work but in a way I was a little bit comfortable and so I wanted to stretch myself so I decided to go freelance and there wasn't really a plan there still isn't really a plan I just decided to do things that I hadn't done before or who stretched that stretched me or um, kind of challenged me or frightened me in some cases. So I have therefore become over the six years um, a philanthropy advisor. I mean, I've always been working in, in the philanthropy space, but it's kind of shaped and evolved over that time of different projects. So I'm in a very nice position now of being, yeah, a consultant philanthropy advisor. are the biggest changes in um, grant making and, and philanthropy that you could see happening? So in, um, in grant making, there's been great changes in practice that have been really amplified by um, events of the last year. So for as long as I was in grant making, so you know, it's 20 years now, um, you know, fundraisers are, quite rightly have been complaining about the hoops they got to jump through and you know this the power imbalance where a funder can ask them to do whatever they need them to do to provide whatever information they require and that dynamic was inherent in that um, relationship and it's really good to see that shift and that shift kind of increase um, rapidly over the last year so much more talk about um, partnering which of course it is, because there's no good just having the money on their, your own. If you haven't got the expertise to deliver what 
change needs to happen or what support needs to happen on the front line you you can't do any good and if you're you know trying to do the work but you haven't got the resources you can't do it either so it's very much a partnership um and it's lovely to see those changes in terms of trust-based philanthropy and participatory approaches and models coming through where it's much more about those that are impacted having a voice in those philanthropic decisions. So that's been a really interesting shift. Um, there's obviously a lot more interest in climate justice and then the intersections with racial justice, social justice, and, and you can see that trend, especially in younger people. Um, so they're, they're good changes, I think, and and just the level of interest and giving, I think, is has gone up because I don't have to explain my existence quite so often of kind of what is the philanthropy and why is it needed and what's its role. There's huge amount of debate, obviously, around it, but I think there's a there's a greater awareness that philanthropy is a thing and it's a thing that you know can be good and and can be really useful and required especially in a crisis that really brings that to light and um, i mean obviously the clients that i work with that that's you know they already see the value and, and they're going to pay me which is great but generally there is still a very strong myth that giving is easy and that persists so it's kind of just give to a charity they're all the same it'll be fine you know or yeah that it's just something that doesn't require a lot of thought um, and isn't worthy of a lot of thought so that sadly is quite persistent and that's why i think a lot of people get stuck so that when you've got significant amounts of money and you're trying to give it away and everyone's tell, telling you it's easy and it should be really rewarding and actually you're finding it difficult and fraught and overwhelming and unsatisfactory, then people feel really bad and they can get quite paralyzed um, because you know it's their money that's precious, they want it to do good, they want it to make a difference and, and they're kind of slightly lost in all the different options and all the different opinions. So that's where I really love working with people because you can kind of, help them through that and show them that it's not just that i don't know it's easy and they're missing something but actually you can say look it is really hard to do it well but you know you can help them navigate through and, yeah. and similarly um you know i think there's quite a strong message that there's only one way of doing philanthropy and you know there's a sort of focused again generally on the kind of big names and big personalities and you know major givers and maybe a more kind of business top down metric driven approach and that can put some people off whereas actually there's a huge different array of models and approaches and ways that people can give so you know that could be collective or you can co-fund or you can you know fund hugely different things in different ways and again it's about showing people the possibilities not that sense that there has to be one way or they're doing it wrong yeah and you know you you listen to an investor talking about whether they invest in the idea or the business and they'll often say, actually, it's the person. Would you say that's the same, there's elements of that in, in the funding scenario, with it, where a trust 
about to fund an organization it's got to, they're going to have faith in, in the, the people running it i think that's a tricky one because there's a risk in just supporting an individual um so if you're at a certain stage of a, an organization's development if they're a newer stage or you know they're a, a particular challenge point where they need a leader they need ambition they need that drive then you can really see that having that one good person can turn something around or make something grow which is brilliant but at other points in an organization actually what you want is you don't want everything being one person you want a really good ethos and a culture and you want longevity and sustainability and knowledge and so i actually think it's um it depends like so much in philanthropy it depends but i think you know sometimes yes a charismatic you know convincing person is brilliant and sometimes that can actually be um a bit of a problem if you're following that route when actually the change can sometimes be, you know, less obvious and less exciting, but is nevertheless there. And so what I always think you're looking for is, is the confidence of the whole organization. And that's partly with the leadership, but it's across the board really. And it's that confidence that you've got a, a movement, an organization, a group who, who know what they're doing, they know why they're doing it, they know what they're trying to achieve. And that can really come across. And they're the ones I think you can really um, be very confident when you're supporting them as well. Causes that you, you're most proud of? You know, I care about certain causes over others. I care about certain groups over others. And in a sense, when I'm working with a client, I'm not, um, it's not my money and it's not my kind of passion. It's, so what I love to see and what makes me proud is them kind of caring about what they're doing. So it's this funny step removed and it's not that I don't care what they give to at all, but actually it's about seeing them uh, switch on about their philanthropy, seeing them, you know, make a donation and learn from it and engage and just take great um, satisfaction in what that group's able to achieve and build a relationship with them and go on to kind of keep supporting them. So it's actually um, what I love seeing is actually the cl my clients kind of falling in love with philanthropy, if you like it, and seeing how they grow in confidence and grow in expertise. There's often well, philanthropy can get a bad rap for being a sort of imbalance of power and sort of a top-down thing. Um, yeah. Kind of counter to that is around co-design, you know, co-designing initiatives as a group, you know, with the stakeholders, with the maybe the organisation who's doing the work, maybe also the funders as well. Um, is, is there more of that kind of innovative stuff happening that you see um, I know, I know not one size fits all. Yeah, I mean, that definite, that power shift is happening. Um, and there are some really, you know, interesting examples. And I, at a very small level, um, co-founded a, a giving circles, which is um, Bath Women's Fund. And I suppose that model 
is really nice. It's, you know, it's local women coming together. They're lucky enough to have a, you know, a surplus income that they can give 20 pounds a month, which, you know, is a lot to some, not so much for your, your big philanthropists, but actually then that is pulled. And um, then this year they'll be giving a grant to a local group of, of 15,000. So that's the pooling of the members um, money. And this year's theme is about poverty. And so we have some women with um, lived experience as part of that decision making. So it's not a full on kind of community led participatory model, but it's nevertheless, it's it's local women coming together who care about their community and they're pooling their resources and, and meeting and, and doing good together. So I think you can see it in really small examples like that. And then you, you can also see it in, um, just the changes of practice in, in some um, funders where they're looking at streamlining their processes or giving more core funding or just listening a bit more. And some have gone full out there and, and have got amazing sort of community organized participatory approaches. So you're right, it's not a one size fits all, but I definitely see um, that there's a, there's a movement and a shift, which is great. But I, I still work with people who although they want to give to charity some of the the myths stay about it being inefficient or um you know the whole still you know overpaying the ceo and overheads being too high and, and those kind of misconceptions about um non-profits and so sometimes you're challenging that even though at the other end there's the kind of participatory trust-based model at some point you're still kind of just having to talk through a very top-down critical um approach to charities that that is not even close to partnership so i think everywhere along the con continuum you can kind of move a little bit along yeah do, do you see wait, trusts and foundations you know like go with something quite innovative yeah i think like you say it, it different people have different appetites for risk for different reasons so if you're you know if you're a large foundation that gets public money that's that's a certain set of risk appetite that you're going to have if you're a low profile um family foundation that's quite small that's quite agile you can you can take you can really exercise your independence and, and take risks and try things um what i think is interesting about risk well not just risk but part of it it's it's almost like what i think is most important is just the the intention and the thinking so we can get quite lazy into thinking that risk is a certain thing so it's backing the innovative or um and what i think is important at the moment is that risk has been associated with the kind of smaller community-led groups and i don't think that's a fair um, assessment. I don't think they are necessarily risky, but in kind of due diligence, it's seen as, oh, if you're a bit small and you're a bit local, you're a bit informal, that you're higher risk when actually they're quite impactful, important, locally embedded groups that are not going anywhere. And so actually aren't necessarily risky. It's just they've been put in a pot and we've forgotten to question. And that's what I mean by intentionality. I think it's whatever approach someone takes whatever they decide to do i think it's just good just to check the assumptions and to just challenge ourselves on 
kind of why are we doing it that way? Why do we think that's the best way? Um, what else could we do? How else could we think about it? And that's where the the listening and the learning and the having space just to think is really important rather than just kind of going, oh, this is the way it's been done or this is, you know, or risky is good, whereas not risky isn't. We, we have a lot of assumptions. I think we hold a lot of value um, without a lot of thought. I'm imagining you walking down the road and you get stopped and asked to give um, by one of these charity, um, you know, chuggers, they call them in the UK. Um, and I'm just thinking, you know, like, Bussman's holiday, is it? Or are you, you're just I'm like, a nightmare to ask. What, I'm what? a nightmare to ask because it's like I'd have to research you and I have to ask a million questions. So I'm afraid I don't do um, reactive giving in that way. I My, my giving is... is is very thought out and, and planned, as you can imagine. So yes, I'm yeah. afraid I'm a bit of a fundraiser's nightmare. Yeah, I remember being, <laughs> I remember being, um, you know, when you, you sort of be in the centre of London, you'd be standing outside a, a pub and yeah. approached by someone for a donation, and I'd find myself like grilling them on the charity number. <laughs> did, um, did they know the reserves policy? Did they? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all those ridiculous things. Strategic plan, and yeah exactly what, what in terms of so just reflecting a bit more about being a, a kind of consultant and working on your own um I imagine you had the opportunity to sort of jump into an organization and and maybe that was that ever a, a possibility over the last six years and um, I imagine it being quite attractive to do that or do you just do you love the independence that what you're doing offers and the variation of the variety of work yeah it's it's something that I do think about. Um, I I wonder if I'm employable anymore. I'm so used to having autonomy. Um, but the downside of working for myself is that um, sometimes I miss having a team and I miss that just on a personal level uh, sometimes. And also, uh as a individual advisor i'm limited to what i can provide and and so if you have a client who you know actually they do need some kind of specialist legal hr advice about employing somebody to help with their work or they you know they're also interested in investments i can kind of help them work out who else they need but actually some of the larger advisories you you have that luxury where you've got kind of all the everybody under one roof and you can bring them all in and help a client together so there is an attraction in working for a, a larger organization um but nothing's persuaded me yet shall we say so at the moment i'm still enjoying um the freedom of what i get to do and i quite like um I do quite a bit of teaching. So I teach on a couple of master's programs. I do some um, professional development um, training and I quite like being able to have an opinion and say whatever I think and be held up to that and justify it. But I, I, I'd be very nervous about being part of an organization where you kind of have to toe the line of the organization and, and say whatever they say, because I'm quite used to just having an opinion so I think yeah. that would be an interesting challenge if it happened 
absolutely and in terms of inspiration um and you talked about working for yourself and and do you draw where do you draw your inspiration from professionally and personally do you have you have mentors do you read a lot do you um listen to podcasts uh i do i there's so much to read that's one of the challenges isn't it because philanthropy is just massive and then within that you know philanthropy advising itself can is is pretty big so i can sometimes get overwhelmed by the amount of things i want to read um, but i do try and read some so um and obviously for the teaching that i do i try and keep on top of of um, different voices so i don't have kind of like one person that i go oh that's absolutely my kind of one kind of advisor uh, that I listen to or look up to. I kind of bit of a magpie and I pull bits and pieces from everywhere. And I've been really lucky these last few months where um, I've been able to interview um, a number of different philanthropy advisors who are just brilliant. So because of the sort of pandemic and everything going online, I've had really good access to speak to people in South Africa and America and, and um, across Europe and different and in Hong Kong and different parts of the world. And just that privilege of just listening to people talk about their own practice. And I all of them were great and all of them had things to, to teach me and insights and perspectives to bring. So um, we bring those conversations to the students, which is really brilliant, but actually it's been really lovely for me to to get to talk to so many people about what their work and what they're doing and it's just so varied it's fascinating uh so yeah so i i enjoy yeah. learning and and podcasts i do listen to podcasts but i usually listen to them on the train and i haven't really been going anywhere um, so yeah. i am um, I, I was listening to yours whilst so i took my dog to the vet yesterday so that was really nice to to listen to some um but other Wonderful. times I like to listen to things that are not about philanthropy at all. So it's a getting that balance, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I think interesting what you say about um, how they connect with people globally. So America um, has probably had philanthropy the longest um, in terms of what, in terms of its fully formed profession. Um, hmm. Do you, yeah. Do, often you draw on sort of the American lens or you don't see you don't necessarily hire as a high, higher esteem than there any, any other parts of the world in terms of the people that you come across in, the, in your profession? So the just the volume of because it is so much more developed in America then that's where a lot of the reports are coming from a lot of the research is a lot of the thinking is so it's good to read all of that um, but I guess that is an approach and it's not the only way and it's not necessarily appropriate to other cultures. So um, I had a conversation recently with uh, Halima Mohammed uh, in South Africa and it was really interesting to me to hear just how different um, philanthropy is and obviously that whole criticism which you know she will go into in with huge intelligence that I can't even get close to but just you know that idea that 
you know, philanthropy as a kind of Western colonial, you know, approach mm. that's, that's taken to Africa and imposed and on a set of um, other people where there is, you know, culturally, there's a long history of giving and giving is very embedded. And, you know, so there's a clash there. And I think those spaces, um, and, and that's just one example, and it'll be in lots and lots of different countries where they're, they're looking at their own history of giving and their own culture of giving. And then within that space, as people are wealthier, kind of what what philanthropy is the best fit for those cultures and, and who can best navigate that and who can best guide donors. Um, so I think seeing those locally grown um, initiatives and experts and all that thinking happening in, in those in individual countries and places is brilliant. And in terms of someone who would like to get into advising grant, you know, advising on grant making or get involved in grant making, what would be your advice to them? What steps should they take to design their career or source those opportunities? Most people get into grant making quite accidentally. So I think it's not really thought of as a career. Most people end up doing it. But I see people very successfully switch from fundraising into grant making or from, um, you know, kind of working in. I think it's really good to have worked in in charity and on the front line in some way um, before kind of having the resources to allocate. I think it gives a, a deeper respect and understanding for what it's like to, to work and lead a charity. Um, but, you know, equally well sort of researchers come into this space and, and, and other people do. So I wouldn't want to sort of defend it to a particular type of pe- person. And there are great opportunities now. There's 10 Years Time did a program and that was get, about getting more um, people from working class backgrounds into trusts and foundations. So that was a really good initiative called 2027, I think. Um, so and there are there are, you know, there are now training programs and masters so there are opportunities to learn but I do think there's something about having an experience somewhere else before ending up in grant making and in terms of of the giving side um if people you know find that they're in a position to kind of give then I'm very biased and say you know seek out an advisor and, and talk it through and and then you can enjoy it and make mistakes and learn and grow through the giving but I think just to get started with it so you know approach it with some humility know that you're going to be learning you're going to maybe get things a bit wrong but that you're you're going to be in it for the long term so get some help and just get started and do it rather than sit and wait until you're perfect I just say just give it a go and one cause I know you support, which is the Avon Wildlife Trust, is hmm. what are what are the causes that you support and you with your own giving? Ah, so um, well, my background's actually in uh, zoology, so I've got a a, um, a firm interest in in creatures and nature. So um, I do some, I do a bee walk, um, which is like citizen science. We go out and count 
can identify bumblebees. And so, yeah, Avon Wildlife Trust, I worked with for a little while as a trustee and very much support their, um, their attempts at, at kind of nature recovery. So sort of joining up um, wild areas to kind of connect them for, for the benefit of all of us, for nature and, and for people. Um, I also support um, a, a cancer charity that very called Penny Bron Cancer Care, which is very much about um, looking after people um, who, who have a diagnosis of cancer and it's about living well with that diagnosis or the recovery. And a lot of what they do is around um, nutrition. And that was my particular interest because my um, my mum died with cancer and was a cookery teacher. So there's a real kind of personal connection with the work that they do. And then other yeah. aspects of my giving are around the giving circle. So I'm a member of the giving circle and that's about supporting, yeah, local charities that are supporting women and girls. So women and girls get hardly any of the philanthropic resources and it's a small step to address that because actually if you're empowering and educating and supporting women and girls that makes a massive difference globally to for all of us and so that's something i'm hugely passionate about wonderful well thank you very much for joining me it's, i've really enjoyed our conversation and um where can people get you if they need to you oh i have a uh, website which is emmabeeston.co.uk yeah, wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review.